Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this week's episode, Father Adam covers paragraphs 683 to 747, Who is the Holy Spirit? Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Today we're going to um, continue going through the Creed. Specifically, we profess today, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, Just to review, because it's always kind of good to review over and over and over again, the um, introduction to the Catechism, which we covered, sets up three actions, oops, three actions, which serve as a structure for the whole Catechism. The first is man's search for God. The second is that God reaches out to man or reveals himself. And then the third is that man responds. I can't figure out which marker is the good marker and which one is. So the third one is man's man responds. There we go. Now, that threefold action is the structure of the catechism. So, the first one kind of corresponds to the, the brief intro about man's natural search for God, which is itself a gift from God. Second, God reaches out to us in Revelation. And then man's response is that, is really the whole summary of the rest of the catechism. Now, there are four parts of the catechism. The first part, which we are in right now, kind of corresponds with God's reaching out to man, the content of Revelation, the creed. The the last three parts, which deal with the sacraments, which deal with morality, and 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 the last one, which deals with prayer, corresponds to man's response. Now, this is all, hopefully, somewhat of a review. But what's new in this section is... And perhaps we don't realize this, but 
Um, the creed itself is a structure for the entirety of the faith. So we can break the creed down, the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, into three parts. Part A is I believe in the Father. Part B is I believe in the Son. Part C is I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now as we know, there's more after these. But what the Catechism proposes to us in this section is that the creed, the part of the creed on the Father and the Son corresponds to God's reaching out to us, to the revelation. The section on the Holy Spirit, which includes the profession of faith or acknowledgement of the church, of baptism, of the forgiveness of sins, of eternal life, etc., etc., that that corresponds to our response. So our profession of the Holy Spirit, to believe in the Holy Spirit, is an acknowledgement of our belief in the church and of the baptism and all those other things that follow. It's sort of a part of our profession of belief in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the primary agent at work. And our profession of the belief in the Holy Spirit is a summary of the sacraments of morality and of prayer because it is by means of the Holy Spirit that we are able to respond to God's revelation. So it's another structure, another way to kind of connect everything together. So let's go to the text. We're beginning, we're continuing with paragraph 683, 683. So we have an intro, um, a couple paragraphs to introduce this section. I think um, four points and really this whole idea of the summary of um, everything in our profession of the Holy Spirit is in this section. So 683, we're reminded that the knowledge of faith is possible only in the Holy Spirit. To be in touch with Christ, we must first have been touched by the Holy Spirit. He comes to meet us and kindles faith in us. So we've said that man's response to God is faith. The response to revelation is faith. We said this earlier in the section on faith, that faith is possible because of the Holy Spirit. So our response is possible because of the Holy Spirit. Through His grace, the Holy Spirit is the first to awaken faith in us and to communicate a new life. 
So that whole new life, which is um, the, the, the living the Christian faith, is often how the uh, second, third, and fourth parts are described. So if the first is the profession of faith, the last three parts are the living of the faith. This living of the faith is possible because of the Holy Spirit. To believe in the Holy Spirit is to profess that the Holy Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity, consubstantial with the Father and the Son. Now, in this section, we will not go through the details of how the Holy Spirit is precisely related to the Father and the Son, how he proceeds from the Father and the Son. We covered that in the section on the Trinity. What we will mainly focus on, what the Catechism mainly focuses on in this section, is what we we use this word economic, economic, which means how the Holy Spirit publicly or um, visibly is at work and manifests himself. Well, how can a spirit be be visible? Well, you know, in the things like the church, the sacraments, these kind of things, in the public ministry of Christ. The external or outward work of the Trinity is what we're going to focus in this section. The internal we've covered before, the Im, or what we call the imminent Trinity, we've covered before. The Holy Spirit, as we are told, um, now the divine plan accomplished in Christ, the firstborn and head of the new creation, is embodied in mankind by the outpouring of the Spirit. As the church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So the reason why we focus in this section on the economic trinity, how the Holy Spirit is visibly at work in the world, externally at work in the world, We've covered already the Father and the Son, the interior work of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is most closely associated with this outward, visible work and ongoing work. The church, the baptism, the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, all of these things. If you remember back again to the section on the Trinity... We said that all three persons are always working together. There is, though we have the ability to attribute to one of the persons a particular work. So, for instance, when we think of creation, we most likely think of the Father, because the Father is the unbegotten one. When we think of redemption, the work of how we have been saved and restored in our relationship with God, we think of the Son because He seems to be the one most at work. 
But we know that, of course, the Father and the Holy Spirit are at work with Christ. Well, in this last part, what we call sanctification, the means by which Christ's salvation is applied to us, or how we come to subjectively receive this salvation. We call this sanctification. And most often we associate this with the Holy Spirit. But again, the Father and the Son are at work in this. So then the Catechism opens up with a couple more points in paragraph 687 on how the Holy Spirit is at work. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work. We know him only in the movement by which he reveals the word to us and disposes us to welcome him in faith. The spirit of truth who unveils Christ to us will not speak on his own. You know, I hear it often that the Holy Spirit is sort of the neglected person of the Trinity, that he is he's somehow neglected. But really, that's in some ways, I mean, he doesn't want to be neglected, but in some ways, he lends himself to be overlooked. Because he desires his, his really, his purpose, his mission is to point to Christ and to bring others to Christ and ultimately through Christ to bring them to the Father. It's sort of like John the Baptist, which we'll see John the Baptist's very intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit later in this section. John the Baptist is always pointing to Christ. Then in 688, we get a really important list of how specifically the Holy Spirit is at work. So in these summary paragraphs, 687 and 688, we're really reminded two things. The Holy Spirit is at work in Christ. And second, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church. The Holy Spirit is at work at Christ, and he's at work in the church. And so how is he at work in the church? First of all, He's at work in the church in the scriptures, in that he has inspired the sacred scriptures. We can understand this, first of all, that the scriptures continue to speak to us because of the Holy Spirit, but also that the writers, in particular of the New Testament, were sons of the church. The Holy Spirit worked through them, in their inspired writing. Second, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church in the tradition, inspiring, not perhaps in the same way as he did with the writers of the New Testament, but nonetheless inspiring those witnesses to the tradition who have handed on faithfully the tradition. 
Number three, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, in the church's magisterium, in the pope and the bishops, the successors of the apostles, as they hand on the deposit of faith. Fourth, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, in the liturgy, in the sacraments. Fifth, the church is... Uh, the Holy Spirit is at work at the church in prayer, in both the public prayer of the church and in the private prayer of, the, of members of the church, in which the Holy Spirit is the primary agent of prayer, the one who is praying through us. Next, number six, The Holy Spirit is at work in the church in the charisms and in the ministries of the church, which he uses to build up the church. Number seven, the Holy Spirit is at work in the church in the signs of apostolic and missionary life. In the signs of apostolic and missionary life. So that he calls people to live the gospel as disciples and especially as these as Francis Francis would say as missionary disciples. And then finally the Holy Spirit is at work in the church in the witness of the saints through holiness, the real holiness in the life of the church. So again, the structure of this section is the Spirit is at work in Christ and the Spirit at work in the church. So first, we look at the joint mission of the Son and the Spirit. So the Father sends the Son, and together the Father and Son send the Spirit. But both the Son and the Spirit are sent We use this word mission, to be sent. From all eternity, the Son and the Spirit are sent. But also within creation, created history, the Son and the Spirit are sent. And they are sent together. Their missions are intertwined and interconnected. When the Father sends his word we hear in paragraph 689, he always sends his breath. In their joint mission, the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct but inseparable. One can't utter a word without breathing. It's impossible. You can't make a noise without breathing. In the same way, the word and the breath are inseparable. The Son and the Spirit are inseparable. Distinct, but inseparable. Jesus is Christ, the Anointed One, because he is anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit is his anointing. The Catechism then goes on to explain for us the names, titles, and symbols of the Holy Spirit. So the proper name for the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. 
And it's important that we include both, holy and spirit. Holy and spirit. Spirit indicates to us a breath, an air. The Hebrew ruah, it it tells us, which means breath or air or wind. But the idea that the Spirit, this third person, has been breathed by the Father and the Son, breathed out, or spirated, we sometimes say, that he, this third person of the Trinity, proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is distinct from the Father and the Son. And so Spirit indicates that. It indicates his unique relationship to the Father and the Son as one who has been spirated, who has been breathed out, who has proceeded. But we also include the word holy for his name, or he, we shouldn't say that we've invented this, but this is revealed. He, you know, Jesus refers to him as the Holy Spirit. This is the name, the distinctive name, that reveals who he is. Spirit reveals this distinctive relationship with the Father and the Son. Holy indicates that he shares in the same divine substance as the Father and the Son. In the same lordship, in the same holiness, in the same divine substance. He is equally, in the same way, divine as the Father and the Son. They are one. He's a distinct person who has been spirated, spirit, but he's a holy spirit. He shares in the very substance. Part of that, of course, is also we want to distinguish the Holy Spirit from creation itself, which has come to us from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from God. So when we call the third person holy, he's of the same divine substance as the Father and the Son. He's not a creation. Now, that's his official name. That's his real name. That's on his procession certificate as opposed to his birth certificate, Holy Spirit. But he's got many nicknames. We refer to him as the paraclete, which is sometimes translated as advocate. It's a technical term coming from the Hebrew legal system, judicial system, as the defense attorney. The advocate is the defense attorney. In the Hebrew um, legal system, the prosecutor is referred to as the accuser, which if you translate is Satan. So the spirit is our defense attorney. That's why sometimes he's called the the consoler as well. We also can refer to him as the spirit, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of truth, 
all of these other references, the spirit of glory even, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of promise, all these other titles. He also has many symbols for himself that point to him. And they all kind of reveal something about the work of the Holy Spirit. First, water is used as a symbol for the Spirit. It signifies, of course, his action in baptism. This washing of us in this new life. Second, anointing or the use of oil, oil as an symbol as a sign for the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that Christ himself is anointed, but also Christ's work in the sacraments of anointing, in baptism and confirmation and holy order, and even in anointing of the sick. But it also that anointing, and I emphasize this again. So his work in the sacraments, his work in the life of the church, and his work in the life of Christ. Christ receives this anointing. He is the Christ because the Holy Spirit anoints him. Earlier, in the, when we covered the mysteries of Christ's life, we pinpointed one at least public anointing of Christ at his baptism when the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. But the catechism in this section will also indicate that Christ's anointing is eternal. The Holy Spirit is, is continually being poured out upon the Son for all eternity. Also, the incarnation itself in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary the Holy Spirit comes upon the Son as he comes upon Our Lady. So we could also say in some ways that Christ's anointing is also in the womb of Our Lady as she is anointed by the Spirit. Fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see that on the night on the day of Pentecost. It reminds us that the Spirit is a transforming energy. He transforms us. Cloud and light is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. This is particularly seen at the Transfiguration. And it reveals something very interesting. And I think this is the point. Every time I reread the catechism, there are always points that kind of, new points that maybe I heard before, but they kind of strike me anew. And this point with the cloud and the light is that the Holy Spirit both reveals like light, but also obscures or conceals like a cloud reveals and conceals. The Holy Spirit is the pedagogue, we're going to hear, the teacher who reveals revelation through time. 
it certainly reveals, but he also, the Holy Spirit, also conceals that there is this mystery that the Holy Spirit is a part of. That lest we think that all is made clear to us, there is still obscurity, there is still mystery. And the Holy Spirit is mysteriously a part of that mystery, somehow concealing. A seal is used. Now, not, this is not some aquatic mammal as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. What they mean is, you know, like a seal that is impressed upon, you know, a wax seal. Connected to this is this, this word sphragis, this Greek word sphragis, which means tattoo. So a tattoo is a sign of the Holy Spirit. And that is because the Holy Spirit leaves in the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and holy order an indelible mark, a sphragis, a tattoo on our soul. Character is sometimes the traditional word for that. It's imprinted on our soul. A hand is also a sign of the Holy Spirit to indicate that the sacraments and the gift of the Holy Spirit is handed on, transferred through the imposition, the laying on of hands. The finger is also a sign of the Holy Spirit. This especially is the key, the case where the Lord inscribes upon the stone tablets the law that's given to Moses. This finger that inscribes the words is the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, of course, the Holy Spirit inscribes the law onto our hearts. And then, perhaps most famously, the dove is a sign of the Holy Spirit, as we see at the baptism of the Lord, when he comes down upon the image of a dove. In the next several paragraphs... And by several, I mean 702 to 716. The Catechism traces throughout the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit manifested himself or could be seen at work. So we see him at the work of creation. When the Father spoke, the Word, and breathed on the waters, the Son and the Spirit at at work in creation with the Father. Paragraph 705 is, I think, a, a very important paragraph. And it really touches upon an earlier section on the creation of the human person, of man and woman. And it's worth reading, um, I explained this when we covered those sections, 
but it's not as clear in those sections as it is here. Of course, we know the Catechism was, um, even though it's a complete and utter success, it was the product of a committee, which is not usually the case that committees produce things that are helpful and successful. But it is a product of a committee, and each of the different sections were probably written by different persons, and then a general, couple general editors tried to connect it all. Some sections deal with topics really well that should have been dealt with at an earlier section. So this one deals with this idea of the human person being created in the image and likeness of God. We hear, disfigured by sin and death, man remains in the image of God, in the image of the Son, but is deprived of the glory of God, of his likeness. The promise made to Abraham inaugurates the economy of salvation, at the culmination of which the Son himself will assume the image and restore it in the Father's likeness by giving it again its glory, the Spirit who is the giver of life. So we're told in Genesis that that the human person was made in the image and likeness of God. We covered in detail how the human person is in the image of God, and that even with the fall, we still retain that image. Now, some of those aspects of how we're in the image of God is we have reason, we can know the truth, We have freedom. We can make choices. We have this dignity that cannot be taken from us. We have um, a certain potential for God, a capacity for God. But what is lost is the likeness. It will be given back to us, the likeness. The image remains, but the likeness is lost. This section identifies the likeness with the glory or with the gift of the Spirit, the giver of life. In 707 and 708, we, talk, we hear about in the Catechism how the Holy Spirit is at work in the law, the giving of the law. A couple words to define theophanies or manifestations of God. So God manifested himself, made himself, you know, seen several times throughout the Old Testament. Most especially in the life of Moses, but also in the life of the other prophets. The Spirit is at work in the revela- in these theophanies. And then also in 708, we hear of this phrase, which we've heard before, divine pedagogy. It is the way in which God teaches, which is this slow, gradual revealing of himself. The law is meant to be a tool of this pedagogy. 
we hear, God gave the law as a pedagogue to lead his people towards Christ. But the law's powerlessness to save man deprived of the divine likeness, along with the growing awareness of sin that it imparts, enkindles a desire for the Holy Spirit. So God gave the law in the Old Testament. Many of the Hebrews tried to faithfully follow it, but were unable to fulfill all of it because they lacked this likeness. They lacked the Holy Spirit. But the, law, the Lord gave this law that, seemed imposs- that was impossible to fulfill. The Lord gave this law to build in the people of Israel and the people in the world a hunger for the Holy Spirit, for the one who enables us to live the divine life. Then the catechism continues the kingdom and the exile and then focuses particularly on the prophets. Two prophetic lines were to develop, one leading to the expectation of the Messiah, the other pointing to the announcement of a new spirit. So if we read the the prophets, which we should all read at some point in our lives, we're going to see two reoccurring themes if we're reading it with that right sense of Scripture. One, that they're pointing to a Messiah, and second, that they're pointing to a gift of a Spirit. Which, of course, these things are intertwined because the Messiah means the Anointed One, and the Spirit is the one who anoints Him. Then the Catechism moves in, and this is paragraph 717, to the New Testament. First, by looking at John the Baptist. We're well aware of 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 the testimony that John the Baptist was in some ways anointed by the Holy Spirit from the very beginning, when he was in the womb of Elizabeth. In paragraph 720, again, hitting this theme of the Spirit as this divine likeness. Finally, with John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit begins the restoration to man of the divine likeness, prefiguring what he would achieve with and in Christ. John's baptism was for repentance. Baptism in water and the Spirit will be a new birth that by our baptism we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are renewed in this divine likeness. Paragraph 721 and 726 is a very beautiful reflection on Our Lady. In the Catechism, the Blessed Virgin Mary is treated in different sections. Now, in a couple weeks, I think... um, It's the second to last class, but I can't quite remember which one. We're going to cover Our Lady and the Saints. But there are two major sections where Our Lady is treated. The first one 
we've already gone over, but we skipped because I'm going to cover it later, is when the Catechism talks about the incarnation of Christ. The second part is in the section with the church. It connects Mary as mother of Christ and mother of the church. Just sort of like the Holy Spirit as at work in the life of Christ and the work of the church. So we see these things that um, our redemption and salvation entails Christ and the church. So the Holy Spirit's work is in those. Mary's role is in both of those as well. But there is this little section here where there's a connection between the Holy Spirit and Mary. It makes it kind of shows Mary's special relationship with the Holy Spirit. Often we refer to Mary as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So a couple points about the relationship. First of all, Mary is this special dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. The Father found the dwelling place where His Son and His Spirit could dwell among men. Number two, the Holy Spirit prepares Mary by His grace, especially in the Immaculate Conception. But she's full of grace. She's prepared for her important cooperation with Christ by the outpouring of the Spirit upon her, at her conception even. Number three, in Mary, the Holy Spirit fulfills the plan of the Father's loving goodness. Mary becomes an instrument by which the Spirit fulfills the Father's plan. Number four, in Mary, the Holy Spirit manifests the Son of the Father, now become the Son of the Virgin. She is the burning bush of the definitive theophany. The Spirit reveals the Son in giving him a body through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Just as God was seen in that tree, that bush, that was consumed by fire, but, well, I shouldn't say was on fire, but was not consumed. In the same way, the Son is made visible because the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the Son has this body now. Number five... Finally, through Mary, the Holy Spirit begins to bring men, the object of God's merciful love, into communion with Christ. So Mary becomes sort of the center by which the human race is going to be united to Christ, brought into communion with Him. She's the heart of the church. That's why I think there is this beautiful section. You know, Mary is at work in the life of Christ. She's at work in the life of the church. The Spirit is in the work of the life of Christ. He's at 
at work in the life of the church, and the Spirit and Mary, the Spirit is at work in Mary. And that's this, this beautiful, beautiful parallel. So there's this lovely structure to the catechism. Then the catechism, of course, at, at Pentecost, Our Lady is there at Pentecost. She becomes the new Eve, the mother of the living, as the Spirit comes upon the apostles as the church is inaugurated and is manifested. Then we have some paragraphs on specifically the Holy Spirit in relationship to Christ Jesus. Again, we see this in the connection of the New Testament. So this is where we've been going through is how the Holy Spirit is at work in um, in the New Testament. But a couple points to be made. So this is really a summary of what Christ says about the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. It's in these sections, 727 to 730. First of all, the entire mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit in the fullness of time is contained in this, that the Son is the one anointed by the Father's Spirit since His incarnation. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So in this particular paragraph, the anointing of Christ is pointed to at His incarnation. Everything in the second chapter of the Creed is to be read in this light. Christ's whole work is, in fact, a joint mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the second chapter of the Creed is this section on the Son, our profession of belief in the Son. Even though, although the Holy Spirit is referenced in that section... Even though it's about the Son, it's really all about the Son and the Holy Spirit at work together. Their mission is inseparable. That's sort of the line that we need to kind of let us hit, you know, um, to let hit, hit and to sink into our hearts tonight, is that Christ's mission and the Holy Spirit's mission, it's a joint mission. Jesus does not reveal the Holy Spirit fully until he himself has been glorified through his death and resurrection. Nevertheless, little by little, he alludes to him, even in his teaching. We see this in many of the episodes of Christ's life. Then, and only then, when the hour had arrived for his glorification does Jesus promise the coming of the Holy Spirit? And then finally, at the last hour of course, um, he breathes the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. From this hour onward, the mission of Christ in the church of Christ and the Spirit becomes the mission of the church. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. 
So this is our bridge right now. This is the bridge. The Spirit is at work in the life of Christ. The Spirit is at work in the life of the church. How is it? Well, because the Spirit and Christ's mission is the same, it's a joint mission, this then, therefore, is inherited by the church. The church receives this mission. Then the Catechism talks about the Spirit involved in the church. And even we hear in the last days. So we saw the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit at work in the New Testament now, the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the church. There's a mention of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit as God's gift. A couple important points, well, four important points corresponding to the four paragraphs. How is the Holy Spirit God's gift to us? First of all, as God is love, the Holy Spirit is the first gift of love, which might also be said as this divine life. Second, the Holy Spirit is, entails this gift of love in the forgiveness of our sins and in the restoration to the baptized, the divine likeness lost through sin. So first... The Holy Spirit is the gift of God's love. Second, the gift of the forgiveness of our sins and restoration to divine likeness. Third, the Holy Spirit is a gift in the pledge or the first fruits of our inheritance, especially this charity. And then finally, fourth, The Holy Spirit is a gift to us, God's gift to us, specifically in those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So the Spirit is a gift to us with all these different dimensions. As we said, Christ's mission and the Holy Spirit's mission is one, and it becomes the one mission of the church. The mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit is brought to completion in the church, which is the body of Christ and the temple of the Holy Spirit. As such, so... The reason why the Holy Spirit's mission is connected to the church is because the church is the body of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about the church in the next couple classes. And we're going to, I think, um, come to a deeper understanding of the church as the body of Christ. But what we might understand that is the church is how Christ is continues to be present in history.
And just as the Spirit was at work with Christ in his public ministry and in his life, he is also, the Holy Spirit is also joining in the mission of Christ's historic presence in the world, in the church. And how does this happen? A couple points in 737. The Spirit prepares men and goes out to them with His grace in order to draw them to Christ and to the church. So the Spirit moves people and opens their hearts up to come to Christ and the church. Second, the Spirit manifests the risen Lord to them, gives them understanding. Number three, the Holy Spirit makes present the mystery of Christ, especially, supremely in the Eucharist. And through that, fourthly, the Spirit brings us into communion with God. This is why we say that the primary agent of evangelization is the Holy Spirit. He is the primary agent of evangelization because he opens people's hearts, he manifests the message, he makes Christ present to them, especially in the sacraments, and he draws them into communion with God. Thus, the mission, the church's mission, is not an addition to that of Christ and the Holy Spirit, but is its sacrament. In her whole being and in all her members, the church is sent to announce, bear witness, make present, and spread the mystery of the communion of the Holy Spirit. Paragraph 738. That's, you know, that, you know, we should put that somewhere. Paint it on the wall. Put it on a sign. And you know what? That brings us to the end. Um, Because the Holy Spirit is the anointing of Christ, it is Christ who, as the head of the body, pours the Spirit among his members to nourish, heal, and organize them in their mutual functions and to give them life. Send them to bear witness and associate them to his self-offering of the Father and his intercession for the whole world through the church's sacraments. So notice here, so this is an important point, 738, 739, 740, 741. So we've just said that the Holy Spirit's mission, which was one with Christ, is now one with the church. In 738, we mentioned in this, in this very beautiful, beautiful section how the Holy Spirit at work in the church sends the church to announce, bear witness, make present, and spread the mystery of the communion of the Holy Trinity. In paragraph 7... 38, it says, the topic of the next article. So this idea of believing in the church, or we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is possible because of the Holy Spirit. Second, because of the Holy Spirit, 
Christ is made present, nourishes, heals, and organizes his people, which is done through the sacraments. He sanctifies us through the sacraments. Third, because of the Holy Spirit, we have this new life. We're able to, to do these mighty works, especially in living the moral life. And then in 741, the Spirit is able to make us masters of prayer, or rather the Holy Spirit himself is the master of prayer, but he teaches us to pray. So in summary, to kind of wrap our minds around that, because the Holy Spirit and the Church's mission is one, there are four conclusions which point to the last, to what's left in the Catechism. Because the Holy Spirit and the Church's mission are one, the Church exists. Because the Holy Spirit and the Church's mission is one, the sacraments are the means of new life. Because the Holy Spirit and the Church's mission are one, we have the ability to live the moral life. And because the Holy Spirit and the Church's mission are one, we are able to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it, or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives, and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless, and have a great day.